Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. As always, every week when I'm around, <laughs> the Prince <laughs> of Twitter, the Regent of BreadState.com, Andrew Malcolm joins us. Uh, and, uh, you know, I took two weeks off, man. So, you know, I, I that's I right. That's it. right. That's right. That's right. So, so you don't know that, uh, that Biden was charged, uh, with his influence peddling yeah, and, uh, and he oh, yeah, announced right. he's, he's not going to run. Yeah. No, no, no. I am detecting a faint whiff of <laughs> a faint whiff well, of, it, a, it, of an eight-yard, eight eight-letter barnyard epithet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh boy, oh, that man. was so hey. funny. That was the Chicago Seven trial, and oh, that they, the, oh, that was the Chicago Seven. Well, that makes sense. This is yeah, and they were so the, 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 the times. The Times editors were so prudish about it in those days. Now, this is a long time ago, right? That's what, 70? 1970? I mean, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. So uh, they were such, such prudes. And I'm not complaining because the culture at that time was that way. Now it's, now they're on meth. But I, uh, <laughs> so I would devise just in my own little mental games ways to get around their silly rules like that. But one time I wrote a story and they were, I wrote a lot of features and they were always cutting the last paragraph, which was a kicker, right? I mean, right. so one, so one time I was about a sheriff in Stockton, California. I wrote, uh, I wrote the story and then I added a completely meaningless paragraph at the end. And they cut it, so it ended the way I wanted. My father tells a story from when he was in the army that he uh, that he learned that the first time you clean a weapon, your 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 drill sergeant is never going to approve it. And so he you know he cleaned his weapon; it was clean. He presented it. The drill sergeant said, "No, that's not." You know, said something, threw it back at him, and so we didn't do anything with it. Presented the same weapon afterwards, and it passed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, similar. Yeah, abs abs absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, uh, there was uh, was it there was that episode. So then this one, um, they were being such a uptight about what he said, and I said, well, but it's disrupting the courtroom. And they said, well, we have that he's yelling. I said, what? Uh, no, he's yelling offensively. So they they so I figured out I so I wrote that he constantly disrupting the courtroom by jumping up and down, knocking chairs over, and yelling innate letter barnyard epithet, which it which I which mean, was my joke today. Right, it's yeah, in right. your column, it's in your latest VIP column about the type of coverage that the New York Times has these days. Now, let me ask you this, Andrew: When you're covering the Chicago Seven trial. If Abby Hoffman had jumped up on top of, I, I don't know if it was Abby Hoffman or not who did this, but if Abby Hoffman had jumped up on top of the table and yelled vulva, <laughs> would the New York Times have reported it at that time? Well, at that time, probably not. But at this time, yeah, yeah. They, uh, they, you know, even in the old days, back then, I remember they had a, a women's health column and um, they had uh, very graphic advice about how uh, women should um, 
clean their privates after going to the bathroom. And uh, I thought, wow, well, you know, that, I mean, if you're going to do it, why don't you do it so they understand? But in the Vietnam War, and I think this is a form of censorship. It was done to be prudish, but they uh, they excised all kinds of graphic stuff. You know, so the, the coverage that uh, these timid Northeasterners read at breakfast in the newspaper uh, was sanitized. So it wasn't. It wasn't a very bloody war. A lot of bodies, yeah. But there, there were, but there weren't a lot of blood. I even wrote about interviewing a little refugee girl sitting on the squatting on the side of the road, and um, this is a long story to it. But at the end, I said, "So, are you uh, are you afraid?" And she said, "No." And then she vomited in the dirt, hmm. and. They took out the vomiting. So, so the ending was, are you afraid? And she said, no. Yeah, yeah you, you missed, I mean, it really misses the point of that ending. So, yeah, the point is that she's scared to death. Right. Um, um, and uh, those kinds of details, they're graphic, but they're real. You know, well, and, and, and I'm not even sure it's that graphic. I mean, if you had described what came up, she was vomiting. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It's not, it just just a yeah. note she vomited. I mean, that's not that's not so. Graphic. You know, I mean, given the old times and the new times, I prefer the old one. So I'm, I don't mean to overly criticize it, but um, I once spent two hours. I wasted two hours of my life on a on a weekday afternoon in Chicago trying to find out if a woman in this story was married or not. So on second reference, I could say Miss or Mrs. Yeah, now they just say Ms. in all instances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, that makes sense. Or don't do it. I mean, now they even say Mr. for convicts. In those days, guy was convicted. No, he's no longer a Mr. So, you know, we kind of make fun of it later, but... Um, I'm not sure it was bad, you know? I mean, everything is more coarse these days, everything. Well, that brings us to the subject of your of your column here, which yeah. is, um, <laughs> if you have a Volvo, the New York Times has some stimulating tips for you. And there's a number of things that we can talk about in this, which is, on the first place, they don't talk about women. They talk about people That's with right. Volvas. I know. They never use the word women. This is an article that was a review of the uh, and listing the top five clitoral stimulators uh, and uh, what the advantages of each one was and size and power and speed and cleanability and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, but you think, well, probably women would be the majority of customers but they never use the word women or woman in the piece. It's always people with vulvas. Yeah, I mean, it's part wow. of this whole woke nonsense thing that, you oh, know, uh, has to do with, geez. you know, transgenders. And I mean, it's just the nonsense way to approach something like this. Put aside the fact that the New York Times is actually providing this type of, you know, product review or, yeah. or product class review is really what it is. They're talking about a whole class of products that 
normally you would, I mean, there's places where you can go to find that type of information. Normally you wouldn't think it was New York Times. <laughs> right? in the New York Times. I mean, there's, you know, go to Cosmopolitan, go to Ms. you know, yeah, uh, right. you know, go to. Or, uh, or what if, what was the one they used? Love Honey, lovehoney.com. Oh, come on. <laughs> that too maybe consumer reports i don't know i I, yeah, I don't know well that's that's exactly what it was consumer yeah. reports except it was about the very intimate act of masturbation and uh and uh they had seven or no they had 11 <laughs> they had a panel of 11 volunteer vulvas who tested these products <laughs> <laughs> tested these products and took notes and um uh, <laughs> look i mean i think that there is a place for this type of of course there is there, there is definitely there is. a place for i mean the new york times is not the place that i would if i was if i was in the market for for such a product the last place i'd look for this <laughs> type of analysis would be in the new york times i mean yeah yeah exactly and i'm not criticizing them i'm just remarking on it because it shows change and that's what news is is change uh, it does show change and i mean i think you can make a positive argument for it i think you can make a negative argument for it i'm not sure uh, just from a trust perspective although it is called the you know the gray lady i, I don't that's right that's right I don't know that I would necessarily see that as the most reliable source, but okay. Um, but the well, fact no, they had they had volunteers. Ed. Well, they did have volunteers. I don't even want to go into how that was. <laughs> so you're right about this. You're right about this very colorful. You know, <laughs> reminds me. Excuse me. Years ago, back during this British era. I got the idea to Sesame Street was turning five years old, and uh, I got the idea to to do one of our national roundups and get people to go to different schools and talk with teachers if they noticed any change from the first class of preschoolers who had Sesame Street for two or three two or three years, and they did. And one of the most vivid examples I remember was these teachers thought in kindergarten, or a lot of them did, that they were going to be teaching the alphabet. And so uh, one of them went to the blackboard and wrote the big letter V. And the class in chorus yelled, Venus, victory, vulture. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like the song on Sesame Street. So uh, they had to adjust the curriculum. That's for sure. Well, yeah. Look, I mean, again, it, it's certainly a worthy piece of journalism. Again, it just depends on you know time and place, yeah. and maybe maybe the times uh, readership has shifted into that type of thing. I just find it odd, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, but, it um, is. It is odd, and that's why I wanted to write about it. And. Um, uh hopefully there will be some people who read about it at redstate.com or they could go to the author's page andrew malcolm and click on the newest story absolutely i want to talk to you a little bit about <laughs> i want to talk to you a little bit about a couple of other things too as long as we're you know um as long as we're here uh you know i just got back 
from vacation. So I, you know. Yeah, we noticed that the whole, everything was stalled for two weeks here. You had been gold bricking. Well, good. Uh, we, we got <laughs> we got nothing done. And in fact, because you were gone, Joe Biden went away again. Did he? Uh, yeah, he only took 10 days. He was worried that he'd miss your coming back. So he came back a uh, day before you. But uh, yeah, it's it's vacation time. If this was France, nothing would be going on. Nothing would be going on. Yeah. And John's gone this week. Uh, Jazz is going to take some time off this month as well. So uh, I, don't, I don't remember approving that, but okay. <laughs> he didn't run that by you? I thought he did. Okay. Well, no, no. no um, at any rate, the, um, you know, I, I kept up with most of the stuff here. I was surprised, though, when I read NBC News this morning. I don't know if you had a chance to see this or not. Uh, NBC News. And Jonathan Allen's a good reporter. I like Jonathan Allen. Uh, I've talked to him a few times. He's, you know, pretty good guy. But he and I forget who his co-reporter uh, co was on this, decided that the big issue for Joe Biden right now is that Republicans are are trying to damage his brand as a squeaky ah. clean, family-oriented um, yeah. you know, politician. <laughs> it's like, so the, the big story here is that Republicans are pouncing. Again. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. Republicans are, pounce, are pouncing on this squeaky clean uh, father who tells going lies after, about it. Who going steals, after yeah, yeah, who steals valor. He told one of those uh, gold star family moms that his son came home in a flag draped coffin from Iraq, uh, which of course he died in a in a special hospital suite in Houston with brain cancer, nothing to do with Iraq. So yeah, it it you you wonder when you see Hunter Biden, and I mean you go down the list of nefarious things that he's done. Boy, and you have to wonder about the parents. I have to say that. Well, I want to read. I want to read just a a very brief excerpt from this. Um. So he's never lost to a general election opponent in a political career that's taken him from Delaware's Newcastle County Council to the Oval Office. But the burnish on Biden's brand is being tested like never before ahead of a close 2024 election. Now, if it's been if it's being tested like never before, whose fault is that? <laughs> because these allegations yes. go back years. Yes. Yes. Since, since what, 72, he's been in, been, uh, in federal office. Well, I mean, even back in 2017 and 2018, there were rumors that Hunter Biden's role on the Burisma board was something significantly different than what you know the, than what it was supposed to be at face value. And the and, Obama and, and Obama let it go. And and this was, I mean, this came up during the first impeachment. This was why the first impeachment came up was because Donald Trump was foolish enough to directly try to, you know. Uh, you know, pressure Volodymyr Zelensky into digging up dirt on Hunter Biden and Democrats in Congress reacted by impeaching him for it. Um, so, I mean, these rumors have been swirling around for years. And the only reason why it's been, it, it, the Biden brand is being tested like never before is because the media has been trying to cover for him. And yeah. it's not working like never before. That's like never problem. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not. And you raised this issue some weeks ago, I think, in which you suggested that maybe 
this was the media's way of joining with the party, uh, Democrat Party's elite to uh, to force Biden out, uh, since he didn't seem to have a health issue that they could get rid of him on, uh, that he would not. You said, I remember this, Ed. Let me check my notes here. Uh-oh. Joe Biden will not be the Democrat nominee in 2024. And I, I wondered about it, uh, but I come to agree with what you, I think you said. Maybe you didn't. But uh, anyway, it, it fits with a, scenario, a potential scenario of how do we get rid of this guy and send him off to a, a graceful uh, retirement and hopefully he doesn't fall down on the beach. Yeah, the um, I think that Kamala Harris is the sticking point there. You can't get you can't mm. get Kamala Harris, and they're certainly not going to put her at the top of the ticket. She's a disaster. That's that's you know I don't I don't want to credit Joe Biden with being clever in any way, but <laughs> whoever decided on Kamala Harris, that was the insurance policy against Joe Biden's impeachment. Yes, yes. I'm almost tempted to go off on a Kamala-esque uh, uh, explanation of insurance, but I, I think I'll pass. <laughs> insurance is when you insure something so that it's insured. <laughs> oh, I did it anyway. There you go. Oh, uh, there you go. Yeah, we are closed because we are closed. <laughs> you know, I've seen a couple of women on, on uh, I don't know what it is, Instagram, I guess, that, that uh, parody her. And they <laughs> they do it very well uh, with uh, the voice, with the voice, and the the hand gestures. And I I, I always yeah I always loved uh, uh, Rich Little's impersonations. I saw him a couple of times in person, and he was just wonderful. He could turn it on just like that. Anybody. Oh yeah, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. And when he did, when he did Johnny Carson reaching for his tie and tapping the pencil, <laughs> is he still around? Is Rich Little still around? I think so. I think so. He is. You know, I, I. It's funny you mention that because I think he was. I think he's the one who did the Johnny Carson voice for the movie Driven about five or six years ago. It's a oh. story about John DeLorean, and there's a scene where he takes, where Johnny Carson calls him up in the middle of a party, and they unfortunately put the call on speakerphone and Carson's calling to read him out about what a crap piece of car his DeLorean is. And at first they think he's kidding. <laughs> it turns out that he's really angry. And, um, and in, in the movie, at least, I don't know if this really took place. Yeah. But it sounds very much like Johnny. It really sounds like Johnny Carson's voice. And of course, oh, by the time yeah. the movie was made, he was dead. <laughs> so I knew yeah. it wasn't Johnny who was playing it. They wouldn't. And they, they they wouldn't pay him residuals, so he said he wouldn't. He said he wouldn't do it, even though he was dead. That's right. Yeah, gotta yeah. get the residuals in, man. So yeah, you know, I, I'm. I, I guess I was a little disappointed to find out that the the big story uh, from the mainstream media is still Republicans pouncing. Pouncing, isn't that amazing? That's an excellent. I missed the pounce. I mean, I I saw the story. It's like, oh, please again. Uh, but I'm. I should have thought of pouncing right away. You and I have a pouncing thing. We do. We have a pouncing yeah. mentality because we've been around this long enough to. Yeah. yeah. When it comes pounce. up, you know, it's, it's a good word. Pounce. I like pounce. You yeah. know, I had a. I had a game with a. Uh, not another writer with, but with a friend in Montana, 
when I was on the editorial board of the LA Times, and he would send me every month a word challenging me to get it into an editorial. <laughs> <laughs> and I did, every one of them. The, but the hardest one was Molly Cottle. But I got that in. There you go. Um, yeah. <laughs> there is a, I don't know if you've ever, ever seen this. I love this movie, even though it's really silly and it's, you know, completely, you know, completely dumb comedy. But there's a movie called Super Troopers. I don't know if you've ever seen it. This is about 20 years no, old. I don't think so. It's a, it's a, it's a broad comic farce about, you know, highway patrol officers in Vermont. And um, it's hilarious. If you ever get a chance to watch it, yeah. I think you know, okay. just, just dumb, stupid, fun humor, yeah. right? And one yeah. of the things that they one of the things that they do is supposedly they play games when they come up to people that they pulled over, and one is the meow game. And the one <laughs> one guy challenges his partner to say, you know, says, "Well, you know, so and so got six meows in. I think you can do 10. And <laughs> Jim Gaffigan plays the guy that they pull over, right? And he says, all right, yeah, let me see your driver's license there. <laughs> and he keeps throwing in these meows where it's supposed to be now. And Jim Gaffigan starts giggling. He says, what's so funny, boy? Why are you laughing at me, meow? <laughs> he says, are you saying meow? He says, why would I say meow? And, and the whole time, the partner's holding up the count over the, <laughs> over the over the top of the car and laughing. You can see him laughing in the background. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. He gets, to, yep. he gets to nine and he, oh, the partner says he's gotten a nine when, the, when he's ready to walk away. So he just goes back and goes, now <laughs> to get to 10. <laughs> I saw uh, there's some, there's some videos on Instagram uh, that show uh, pullovers and some of them are hilarious. Oh, one of them, was it's kind of sad was a cop that pulled over a car for speeding and he walks up to the window and he looks through the driver's window and he goes oh wow oh would you and your lady friend please get out of the car and the woman in the car with the guy young guy who was speeding was his wife <laughs> yeah. and uh uh, and she wanted. He, he told. He told the kid, "You well, you better be on your way." And and he told his wife, "Well, you find your own way home." Uh, there's another one which is uh, uh, really hilarious, where the police pull him over uh, and uh, they 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 tell him that he's got a he's traveling in the car with an unsecured infant, and he says, "No," his wife is sitting there says no no we don't we don't have any children and the wife is holding up a pregnancy test that's positive <laughs> so he so he finally discovers it and the other one which i think is the best is a, it's a woman she has a camera on on her dashboard and the cop walks up to the window and says and he says good afternoon ma'am may i see your license and registration and the woman says Dad, you can't keep doing this every time you see my car. <laughs> <laughs> I love those dad jokes. Yeah, the dad jokes are great. The dad yeah. jokes are great. Yeah. Um, so um, getting back to the news, yes, all the news that yes. was fit to miss, apparently, while I was on, yeah, on we, The world was paralyzed. I, I, I think it may have been. Um, 
This week, and I bring this up because you spend a lot of time in Asia as a reporter, um, in Japan specifically. This week, yeah. uh, you've got both of the uh, anniversaries of the atomic bombings in yeah. Japan, Nagasaki um, and uh, Hiroshima. Nagasaki's tomorrow. I think Hiroshima was on, I want to say it was on Thursday or Friday last week. Um, and uh, and there's already, you know, the movie Oppenheimer is sort of added fuel to the normal annual issue of, well, the U.S. didn't have to drop the bomb and all that kind of thing. I'm, I'm curious as to how you see that debate at the moment and and how how serious people are about this because yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to write about it a little bit later on. By the time this comes up, my post will have already been up. Wow. But I mean, there's, there's ample evidence that Japan was not going to surrender. No, uh, no, of course not. They weren't. I, my office assistant who was a wonderful elderly man in the Tokyo bureau. Um, he worked there. And then when the war came, he hid the New York times files uh, in his backyard, he buried them. And then a reporter showed up after the surrender. And uh, of course, they were in military uniform, even reporters in those days. And the occupation was beginning. His colleagues told the man, uh, you better run and hide. There's an American soldier here. But he didn't. And it was a New York Times guy. And he went back to work for the New York Times like it never happened. He told me, that uh, as late as the last few weeks of the war, they were still training uh, civilians how to uh, roll under a tank with a grenade. Now, I don't know that a grenade would have affected a Sherman tank, but uh, uh, how they could, from basement windows, they put a grenade in the tracks of a of a passing tank and so on. So I agree with you. They weren't, they were going to, to leave the, the, even when the emperor gave his speech, he, he never used the word surrender. That's just, that would just the, that would be the end of him and the end of the world. He said, we must face the unfaceable. Yes. And, and, and Japanese are very obtuse on those things. And, like if somebody offers you a salad, you say, oh, no, thanks. That's not that's that's a rejection. You never say no. Don't say no. Uh, they offer you something you don't want. You say that's not necessary. Everything is 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 oblique to avoid any kind of friction unless you're invading a country. And in which case anything goes. <laughs> I was I was in a I was in a meeting with the New York Times publisher who's now gone, deceased, uh, and the Prime Minister Fukuda of, of Japan, who during the Second World War, before the Second World War, was the finance administrator for during the rape of Nanking. Remember that? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, so I mean, he's, I was alive, but no, I certainly know that. Yeah, right. So he's sitting there, and this, this will just show you they don't they don't have um, nerves, or, and I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying that this is a fact. They don't have nerves uh, or sensitivities uh, like other nationalities. So he's sitting there talking to the Jewish publisher of the New York Times, reminiscing about the great days of Nanking. 
Now, you know, <laughs> you, you might, you might not want to do that uh, if you were sensitive to these things. Uh, so they're sensitive about things to our uh, tastes don't matter. Like if you hand somebody your business card, it's rude to put it on the desk. You hand it to them and with their hand, they take it from your hand. Yeah. Somebody, somebody gives you a gift. You, the worst thing you can do is open it right away. Okay. Yep. Because you're checking to see if it's any good. Uh, and uh, the, I found it fascinating. Some Westerners find it intimidating, but it's it explains the word orient, disorient, you know, it's because so many things are backwards by our standards. Of course, we're backwards by theirs. So anyway, yeah. it was fascinating. Well, yeah, it was fascinating. Uh, and I I don't feel any any guilt uh, about about the Second World War and I and I and I and I haven't. Uh, it was brutal and it would have gone on a lot longer and more many more people would have died uh, if we hadn't used the bomb. Then you know you notice they waited what was it five or six days after Hiroshima to see if they were going to surrender. Nagasaki, and, Nagasaki. It was almost a week after Nagasaki before they actually communicated that they were going right, to yeah. Right, but they they dropped Hiroshima first, and then they waited, thinking... Oh, oh we waited, will... yes, yes. And yeah. So we waited and say, well, this will obviously wrap it up, but it didn't. Uh, and that tells yeah. you what the mentality was in the leadership of, of Japan, so they dropped the next one. The next one didn't work so well. It was a different model, and they dry, and Nagasaki... Uh, well, I forgot what the, the Nagasaki wasn't the primary target that day. Some other place was, so it was fogged in or something. So they went to Nagasaki, and Nagasaki's in a valley, so the damage uh, went up, not out like it did in Hiroshima. Uh, and um, and so that finally convinced them. But it was the emperor who said we must accept the unacceptable. Of course, Japanese knew exactly what that meant. Well, yeah. Now, so one of the books that I read, and I talked to Larry a little, a little bit about it today or yesterday. Well, today, but uh, yesterday, as we were, as these things are going to get published, is a book, Downfall: The End of the Imperial Japanese Empire by Richard B. Frank. It's one of the books I read on vacation. Uh, really interesting book. He was one of the first, maybe the first person who got access to the classified files from both Japan and the United States, as well as I think uh, about all of the communications, right? And this is the real, I bring it up because this week we're going to get a whole raft of this revisionist type of thing. And it irritates me every time it comes up um, that, you know, Japan was ready to surrender. All we needed to do was guarantee that the emperor was going to stay in place and they would have gone through with unconditional surrender. Otherwise, it's absolutely not true. They have they have actual diplomat, and this is 1999 when this was written, right? So this is 24 years ago uh, when this guy produced all this information saying that he had diplomatic cables that were going back and forth between Tokyo and their guy in Moscow. This guy named Sato, um, he was the ambassador, uh, because at the time, the Soviet Union hadn't declared war in Japan. They yeah, had yeah. neutral, right? And so they had a diplomatic Yeah, president. they wanted to get in on the goods at the end, yeah. Well, yes. Um, and, uh, and Japan was trying to keep 
the Soviet Union from entering the war, not because they thought that they were going to invade the home islands, but because they knew that they were going to go through uh, Manchuria. At the time, they called it Manchukuo. Um, and they had a bunch of, they had, a, they had uh, some very large army groups stationed there that they were trying to preserve. Um, so Sato's over there and Tokyo's telling him, oh, go say, you know, we're going to send uh, Prince Konoe, I think it was. And we're going to send them over with an offer that, you know, for, for the Soviets to mediate a truce between Japan and the United States and, and you know, the UK. And, you know, we're, we're going to say that, you know, the Potsdam Declaration had already come out, in which they, Americans broadly hinted that Japan could choose whatever form of government that they wanted as long as the Japanese people chose it, which meant, you know, they could keep their emperor if they wanted to keep their emperor. And they made it very clear that the, they weren't interested in the Potsdam Declaration. The only thing that they re, Japan would do is stop the war in place. In place, no, yeah. No troops on, on, on the home island, no foreign troops on the home island, and that all of the places that they had occupied uh, would only be released if Americans and, uh, and the British uh, made them independent. So that Japan could swallow them up later. Um, and, and I mean, and Sato is sending telegrams back saying, you guys are out of your minds. You have no idea. <laughs> Reality actually, I mean, he just, obviously, as you said, you know, they're very mannered. You know, manners mean a lot. But if you read this, he's kind of pushing past the point of manners saying, you guys don't understand. You have no idea what reality is. Yeah, this is not a yeah. serious. This is not a serious proposal, and it's not going to be accepted as a serious proposal. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's in, that's exactly what happened. Stalin, uh, you know, Stalin basically laughed it off. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, get it. Yeah, well, then they, they got some islands out of it. The Sakhalin, right? And there's yeah, a lot got, of oil of it. A yeah. lot of oil there. They're still disputing that, right? I mean, there's still a yeah. dispute. Oh right? yeah, well, Japan over it. that. Yeah, but yeah, but, uh, but yeah, it was it, it, these guys were delusional to the very end. And even with Hirohito, um, you know, he had to overcome a revolt. Oh, yeah. In the Imperial Army that went all the way up to the, uh, at least seems to have gone all the way up to the General War Council, the big six, right? And, um, and uh, he was able to face it down. But the other thing that this book makes pretty clear is that the the story that Hirohito was merely a, a religious figurehead and that the army was making all the decisions is somewhat of a is somewhat of a fable. I don't I wouldn't call it a myth, but it's somewhat of a fable. And it was a fable that was uh very useful to both Japan and the United States after the surrender because yeah, the United yeah. States was able to pretend that Hirohito didn't have anything to do with the war. So it's okay to leave him in place yeah. um for good reasons, because it 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 helped smooth the occupation they made it very a lot easier to have an occupation yeah absolutely but yeah i mean you know yeah. every every emperor picks a name for his ruling era and that name can you imagine being a kid that name becomes the calendar so when hirosto came in i think it was 1925 or something he called his reign showa which ironically means peace. And of course, a few years later, they started taking over 
Asia and China and Manchuria. Um, but from that point forward, people give the years. So if, in other words, if you were born, let's say he was came in in 1925. If you were born in 1928, your birth year is Showa 3. Oh, interesting. Right? Yeah. If you were born in 1914, you're screwed. <laughs> you, have to, you have to, you have to, you have to change, the, change the dates on your, on your birthday. So whenever I would ask somebody uh, if for my interviews with an interpreter and I would say, how old are they? So they would negotiate. Well, okay. So it show uh, that and that. So that equals 1962 in the Western calendar. Uh, and, uh, uh, when when I was there, this is, was in the mid seventies. The emperor, yeah, it was it was the old guy. The emperor uh, went on a trip somewhere. I forgot some Japanese city, and the mo the motorcycle escort they had a detailed plan, and the motorcycle escort took the emperor's car around the block to the front of the house, but he took it a different way than the map said. So of course, what do you think he did? It he killed himself that night. Whoa, really? Because he had he'd taken the emperor around the wrong side of the block. That same place got out of the car. Everything is fine, but he went he went a different way. Uh, so it I found it fascinating. Some Westerners find it uh, intimidating and confounding, but I uh, I enjoyed my time. I found it abs absolutely fascinating. And uh, with Japanese who understand the West, there's a phrase for that. Those are the people like diplomats, kids who grow up in the U.S. or England, and then they go back to Japan. They understand the West. They speak English. And there's a Japanese phrase called batakusai, which means they stink like butter. Because 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 Westerners drink the yucky dairy products. <laughs> well, isn't that something? That but is the one the one thing that I'll never forgive Japan for is I took my family on a Sunday train trip. We went on the bullet train. We got off and walked around whatever city it was, and I treated my family to ice cream bars. You know, like Eskimo pies. Sure. Yeah. And I bit into the pie and there was chocolate covering and then vanilla ice cream and then a big tumor of bean curd. Ew. Beans. Now, I've never liked beans. I never will like beans. And if anybody asks me, what should the world be rid of? The plague, the malaria, whatever. I say beans. And we need to get rid of all kinds of beans. They're just disgusting. But can you imagine? I bite in and I get a mouthful of bean curd. So that's the one thing I will never forgive Japan for. But it only happened once. <laughs> <laughs> and look, Ed, I survived just fine. <sighs> I found I found uh, they ha they eat a lot of interesting things there, and I found if I didn't ask what it was. 80% of the time, I enjoy it. As somebody said, this is eel from a rice field. You might go, eh, but it was really good. Uh, I like that stuff.
<laughs> oh, one quick story. One more. I took my family. Yeah. I took my family to a Japanese inn in um, I forget where, but it was a it was a couple hour plane flight from Tokyo. It was right by a uh, an active volcano. So we're at this Japanese inn, and they're very honored to have this uh, uh, strange Western family in their house. And they had we had yellow hair or red hair, and that was really freaky for them. So uh, the lady cooked dinner, made a special dinner, and she brought us in. One of the uh, servings was a giant sea slug. Ooh. This is, you know, a sea slug is yeah. it's a snail from the ocean the size of your fist. Yeah. And they, she put that, this is very proud. I guess it was a delicacy. She put it down in front of everybody, and my kids were like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and she said, well, you know, enjoy. And she went away, and I said, no, I'm not eating it either. So I, I took each one of them, wrapped them in toilet paper, and I flushed all four sea slugs down the toilet. And fortunately, it didn't jam. And she came back. She said, oh, you finished. You want some more? <laughs> no. And in, in, yeah, in Japan, you don't say no. So we said, oh, that's not necessary. That's not that's necessary. Not, yeah. That's, that's not necessary. We wouldn't want to put you through all that. Anyway, it's a wonderful three years of our life uh, and um, taught me a lot. Well, I appreciate the insight, and I knew you were the right man to ask, because you are yeah. not just the prince of Twitter. You're not just the region of redstate.com. You're a very experienced journalist with lots of uh, lots of uh, years uh, in that culture, and uh, I do appreciate the insight. But we're almost to the end of our podcast. Yeah, we are. A couple of jokes, man. I got a couple of jokes for you. Uh, okay, well, you start. All right, well, give me a second. I'm going to get these from Reader's Digest today, all right? Uh, so I've got a couple of these things here. Helvetica and Times New Roman walk into a bar. The bartender says, get out of here. We don't serve your type. <laughs> yeah. wah, 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 wah. <laughs> uh, if people aren't in the news business, they don't know that that's a font, but okay. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we know it's a well, font. Well, I know. We enjoyed it. The hell with the rest of these people. Go All ahead. right. Well, here's another one. Did you hear about the math mathematician who's afraid of negative numbers? He'll no. stop at nothing to avoid them. But on bumps. But on boom boom. Uh the um okay, so mine uh David Letterman. Um, these are all old, of course. He said, uh, Olympic athletes are getting off the bus at the Olympic Village, and uh, the people are handing out 150,000 free condoms. I'm thinking we might be televising the wrong events. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, uh, I agree. <laughs> uh, Jay Leno said, um, Joe Biden reveals that he had to ask his wife, Jill, to marry him five times. Five times. That's not a proposal. That's harassment. <laughs> <laughs> and did you see her uh, 
her ex revealing what what the couple did to him after she left him. Well, anyway, um, let's see. CVS, uh, Jimmy Fallon says, CVS is launching its own membership program that comes with free home delivery. They'll deliver within a 10-mile radius or roughly the length of one CVS receipt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty close, you know. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, those are the jokes of the week, folks. We'll be back next week with more because we'll be back with the prince of Twitter, <laughs> the region of redstate.com, Andrew Malcolm. Thanks so much, sir. We will talk to you next week. I will. I'll be here. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ed. 